Is it time for your business to pay it back? Hello, I'm William Eastman, executive producer of Richmond Biz Live. And if this is your challenge as a business owner, then don't miss a single show. Either listen live at 10 o'clock every Saturday on WLEE News Talk 990 or download our podcast at richmondbizlive.com. Every show, we tackle those issues in marketing, sales, people, customers, and finance that are limiting your success. If it's time to get paid back for your years of investment and sacrifice, join us this Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Biz Live. Welcome to the studios of WLEE News Talk 990 in beautiful downtown Richmond. This is Richmond Biz Live, a business information show dedicated to business owners and entrepreneurs looking for the payoff. Now, why, why, what's the rationale? Why for the show? Well, Richmond, like most communities, have created the necessary programs for incubators, young entrepreneurs, and startups. But like most communities, have nothing out there for the existing businesses. However... And this is our difference, our special sauce, is we are the only resource available to you. In fact, if you're listening to us right now or you're streaming from our website at uh, www.richmondbizlive.com, uh, it's free. We are the only existing resource out there for existing business owners who are saying, hey, the dream hasn't paid me back. I've spent all these years of investing in my business, making sacrifice, missing days with the family. And uh, where where is my payoff for all that besides having perhaps a reliable job and even some days that's a challenge, then you're in the right place because this is the time, this is the place, and you are the business owner. And how do you get your business back on track and realizing the dream? You can do that a couple ways. One is you can call us at 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483. Or even easier, the shorthand is 844.bizlive. Or visit our website at Richmond Biz Live. That's Richmond B I Z L I V E dot com. And on the homepage, if you hit watch us, you can see the video that is streaming. Or if you want to listen, then you can stream it that way. Okay, for our new visitors and for everybody else, let me just review our format. First of all, we're much like a radio TED. Uh, we take 15 minutes on a, on a specific best practice of fast growth companies, and we bring you a thought leader somebody who is recognized internationally, nationally, or locally on the particular topic. Each one of these presentations, these segments stand alone, so you can listen to it in its entirety for its content, or if you string them together, then you'll begin to see the logic in the process. Number two is our thought leaders are also business owners. These are people who are running their own companies. Uh, we, are, we are an organization that eats its own dog food. In other words, we don't provide advice that we don't follow. And then Number three is that it, everything we do is based upon answering five key questions. Is your business on budget, meaning where are you on cash flow, cash on hand? Number two, are you on plan, which has to do with sales? And are you closing the deals? Are you doing the conversions? Number three is on schedule. All of us have to produce or provide a service to somebody. So are we, in fact, on schedule with our clients? The fourth one is resolution. All of us have clients. So what is their understanding of what we're doing? How happy are they with us? And are we resolving those in a way that the customer wins? And finally on metrics, which is how do I look at how the human resources in my organization are doing? And are we, they, are they in fact contributing? Are we getting the performance uh, that will give us the productivity that we need? Okay. Um, now this week's show, this week's show is going to be on productivity. And uh, the first guest in the studio is going to be Andy Schulich from Metamorphosis Management Consulting. And Andy's going to be talking about preventive maintenance. And he and I were having some fun 
before the show started because out in Southwest Virginia, where I'm working as a VP uh, during the week as part of our consulting uh, uh, services, I'm in the middle of this right now. So I'm, Andy's actually helping me out. And then we're going to be in and we're going to be talking about performance. And performance is going to be the human resources part of productivity. And I'm going to be handling that. And I am your host, William Eastman, managing partner for the Growth Works and executive producer of the show. And then finally, I'm going to close it out as owner, as executive. And I'm going to be talking about how do I build employment processes where I can either keep the best or quickly be able to separate the people who uh, need to be separated. Now, I got a couple shout outs. Shout out number one is to a, a good friend of mine who runs one of the top design companies here in the Richmond area. That's Chaz Foley at Scott Design. And uh, Chaz, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the founder trap to close out the day because I know you have some interest in that. Um, shout out to uh, Rich Retzer, um, our field our field manager out there in Kansas City, and to Kevin Granger, who is running our Las Vegas and Calgary operations. Also, and he's unable to say anything, so he's been muted. But uh, uh, Ryan in Portico is on the panel today, and he's running the show. So if you call in at 844-249-5483, it's Ryan's voice you're going to hear. And so with that, let me welcome back into the studio, Mr. Schulich. How you doing, Andy? Oh, I'm doing lovely. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm rocking. Man, I know you Let's are. Let's rock them, sock them today, man. Man, I tell you, what you did this week was what I love to do is go ahead and get involved with the maintenance. I've actually implemented some of that in the past, and it's a wonderful thing and feeling to do to see the results. Well, this company has had a philosophy for 20-some-odd years of run to destruction. We fix it when it breaks. Yes, yes, yes. That's typical, and we'll get into that a little bit. But, you know, when you look at businesses, uh, you know, we're in there to make a high profit, uh, and this is done when everything runs nice and smoothly. And um, this is because we are maximizing our return on investment in our business. And um, Linda talked about this a little bit over the last couple of weeks. And uh, the investment is in people, machinery, facilities, technology, and other items. Uh, but as we know, running production uh, creates wear and tear, uh, which will eventually lead to out-of-spec products or our assets will break down or malfunction. And uh, as the business moves from the 80% level to the 5% level, its more focus has to be placed on providing uh, these uh, anti-production issues. Uh, because they definitely impact us greatly. Um, our wish would be to have operations um, capable of running, you know, the 100% of the time. Therefore, a business must engage in maintenance activities. So, you know, think about it. Uh, in your business, what activities have you done as far as maintenance? And uh, what we've seen out there, there are basically four levels of maintenance activities. And um, as you go from the 80% level to the 5% level, you start to implement more of these levels. At the 80% level, we're at the break, fix, corrective, reactional program, and that's what it sounds like you have right yeah, now. Yeah, it, we, we work on it when it breaks down, and, yeah. of course, it always breaks down when we're trying to get something out the door. Oh, yeah, so uh, the, the very basic, uh, if a failure occurs – you think, I must fix it, um, this creates a very high cost. And uh, for it disrupts the schedule that you have uh, in your production, and it could uh, cause components uh, to fail. 
you know, sort of think about it. If you don't maintain the engine uh, oil in your automobile um, and it freezes up, not only does it damage the engine, but it could also damage the transmission and other things. So, uh, again, typically um, the 80% spends no upfront money on maintenance, but could possibly play 10 plus more times at the end for the repairs and the impact to the business. Um, the second level is the scheduled or preventive maintenance program. And uh, through historical experience and knowledge of materials and components, the life expectancy of the various items is known. So maintenance can be scheduled to reduce the probability of the predictable failures or process shutdowns that it leads to. Uh, again, here, looking at what you may have in your facility, uh, it could be you go in and implement changing oil, uh, greasing bearings, replacing dull knives, right. uh, you know, limiting overtime uh, for workers. Uh, and it's, you might say, well, why is that? Well, there was a um, software company that uh, said and, and experienced it that if their employees worked over 40 hours a week and did overtime, the time they spent the night before doing something, they came in and had to take an extra two hours to correct the mistakes that they made uh, in the previous day. What we have found, Andy, is when we get over 50 hours in a week, We've been plotting defects. Defects go way up. Yes. And so I found that if we can run the guys a couple extra hours a day and or we can run them a regular day and then bring them in on Saturday, but beyond that, it's too costly yes. to get that production. Yep, yep. And so basically the preventive maintenance program is, is what's typically used by the 15% group that we have. So what goes beyond that? Well, we have the proactive or predictive maintenance program. And um, through the implementation, use of automatic data collection, improvement analytical tools, predictive analysis uh, can be performed. And based on the results of uh, specific studies, the preventative maintenance can be scheduled to correct the upcoming predictive issue. That's stress that upcoming predictive issue which will drastically reduce the probability of the issue. Therefore, we alleviate that failure, um, thus reducing the probability of producing an unacceptable quality product and, um, you know, having an unscheduled production outage. Uh, I had an experience where um, a company, uh, it was a cold storage unit, um, had implemented a new building, and six months later, they were uh, having problems with their computer systems and electronics because of failures, and they detected it um, that they were just failing because of burnouts. And so we went back in and checked it, and it just happened that uh, in electricity, one of the things you have to have is a good grounding system. Right. And um, when we went ahead and checked the uh, measurement of the grounding system, it was three times what it should have been. But yet six months before, it was okay. Well, they were in what we call Thunderstorm Alley, and they had oh. sandy soil. And so the, the system was doing it right, taking the, the lightning into the ground, but 
it hit the sand and turned it into glass, which turns it into an insulator. (laughs) So what they implemented in this um, predictive maintenance plan was they would go in and take readings on their grounding system every three months. You're a much better engineer than I. I would have never, ever, ever went, maybe the sand's glass (laughs) as an insulator. That's wild. Yeah, so so you never know. There's you got to really look for right. the, what we call the root cause. Asking oh, the five yeah, yeah, whys. Yeah. As a lean guy, as both being lean guys, it's yeah. all about root cause. Yeah, and and one of the other things is the um, the maximum, the highest level is the reliability center maintenance program, and this is where you take all the previous concepts, you put them together, and um, you go ahead and look at. In addition to these items, the availability of finances and human resources to optimize the overall reliability and effectiveness uh, and establish a truly excellent maintenance program. Andy, before you move on, i got a couple questions. But first, sure. let me say, if, if you want to join this conversation, 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483. Uh, Andy, some advice for what we're doing right now. We are taking... Uh, we're taking a half a day a week, not a half a day. We're taking a couple hours a week, and we are taking one day a month to, to pull the machines down. So one day a week, we are cleaning the machines. We're doing some light servicing. And once a month, we're at the minimum doing recalibration on the equipment as kind of our pre- preventive maintenance system. What do you think? Oh, that is excellent, excellent program. Yeah, and the key then is to try to um, schedule all that so it doesn't impact your uh, production your your sales well what we do know is the last half of the month yeah. is not very good for being down yeah. yeah so so the first couple of days of the month you usually can pull that off yeah. after everybody's going wow well, what look what we just did yeah and, and another thing to keep in mind as you go out and buy some new equipment uh the probability it it's going to fail is very minimal unless it had a bad part produced or a defect right and uh, as time goes on though you have to increase the maintenance level you do on that we have some machines that we no longer really can calibrate and it's adding to manual labor but uh, without replacing the machine can't be done yeah so what general category items do you think uh, are required for maintenance most people think of electrical mechanical Mm -hmm. but you know in today's age we have software computer devices um, repairing processes you need to update your processes because you learn from what you do and how to do it so you do it better. Your repair tools, you know, yeah. they could break. So in order to be efficient, you have to replace them, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe having supporting information uh, from, say, the uh, original equipment manufacturer and maintaining as-is documentation because you constantly change stuff. Right. And so... For somebody to fix it, they have to be able to know how it's working so they can fix it. Very important. But most importantly, you know, the maintenance worker provide periodic update training on key issues, have scheduled meetings for uh, starting and sharing of lessons learned, encourage um, giving out the documentation, even posting some of this on an intranet web page. Yeah. You know, and, use and, and we certainly we could do that. Uh, our problem is we have no kiosks on the floor yet, but uh-huh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix that next month. Well, you can put it in the break room, though, you know, and give uh, them some time. Y- you know what? It's break time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, how is maintenance service acquired? Most people think it's all in-house. 
where you train employees, but you can also have contract services for those items that, you know, you don't have the specialty in, such as HVAC systems. Uh, or you can go to the, your original manufacturing um, uh, people that designed and built the equipment and uh, let them help you. And in some cases, they can do it remotely because of the Internet now. So you don't have to be there. Uh, my brother-in-law had a car, and he took it into the local shop, and they put it on their diagnostics, and they couldn't figure out how to work it. So what he did was uh, the diagnostics people in the local shop called up Detroit, hooked them up, and they performed some tests, and in less than a minute they diagnosed what it was and got it fixed. Wow. So, uh, you know, rely on other people. Uh, what is needed to perform maintenance services? You should have a pre-thought-out plan to address unexpected failures or quality issues because if you do that, um, it's not a crisis when it happens and you can correct it quickly. You have a process, something documented that can change all the time because of changes occurring. Knowledgeable workers, having them up to date on what it is. Uh, spare parts, you know, do you stock them in-house or if you can quickly uh, are accessible from the outside, you can get them that way because you want to minimize your uh, money tied up sitting on the shelf inside your uh, uh, company. And the 80% doesn't have that money where the 15% has some discretionary funds. Absolutely. And then you can make the decision of whether or not to take this older machine out of service. Right. Uh, we're not quite there. We, we are, right. we, uh, we will be in another month a 15% company. I need one more month to prove it because you know the you know the old joke about data. Uh, blank happens in one month, one data point. Two data points is a pattern, but you need three for a trend. And uh, when we get the numbers in the middle of October, then we'll be at a position where I think we're going to start retiring some equipment right. because we can't keep it calibrated. Yeah. And uh, repair tools. Mm -hmm. Close to you, you might have a cart with the things that you use all the time, or if you have specialty equipment, it's housed in a general facility where you can go and, and get it when needed. Um, but a clean operating area is essential. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, no matter if it's an office or on an industrial production area, a clean, non cluttered operations area so people can move around, see what's happening. Uh, be able to go ahead and identify and get in there and get things done. And cleanliness also promotes safety, which is very, very important, especially in a production area uh, because of the, the chance of uh, having major accidents and major uh, fatalities. Right. And if you're doing preventive maintenance, how can you tell? That's right. I mean, that's why my engines are always, and my cars are always perfect in terms of cleanliness. Not because I'm a neat, well, maybe that might be true, but uh, I can tell when they're leaking oil yes. or water or something. Oh, yeah. That, so, so the productivity of what's going on, your, your maintenance is, is affected by this clutteredness. Right. Uh, you can't have clear diagnostics. Try to get and, quality in a dirty environment. We should look. Oh, that's right. Also, uh, pride in one's work area is created when you yeah. do this, uh, which is reflected in how the person goes ahead and addresses customer issues. Okay. So uh, what value does maintenance program bring? Less probability of unexpected downtime, less negative impact to schedules, uh, 
possible less time expense required due to inefficient products and process flow. And, um, but most importantly, the employee safety and productivity, uh, reducing of possible flying debris, reductions in uh, running issues, such as uh, accidentally getting your hand slips gets into a mechanism that could go ahead and maybe cut a finger off or something. Mm -hmm. uh, reduction in overtime tiredness, which causes loss of focus, observation, and decision-making. Okay. So my final question is, what is the most critical machine in your business that requires maintenance? People. That's right. The human machine. If you and your employees, and I stress you as the owner, do not receive proper maintenance with respect to your physical, mental, and emotional well-being, the probability of uh, low productivity is very high. The business can address these items, number one, by making available possibly gym facilities, professional health and coaches and specialists, safety training and policies, and knowledgeable active leadership training in human needs. So in closing, the implementation of a well-thought-out maintenance program is a very essential factor in moving the business through the 15% level to the 5% level. Awesome. Hey, Andy, how do people get in touch with you? Okay, you can go ahead and contact me at my website at metamorphosismc.com or through Richmond Biz Live Experts page. Yeah, hit the Experts page, see Andy's great face, click it, <laughs> and you're in there. Thanks again, Andy. Well, thank great. you. I appreciate it. It's excellent. Looking program. forward to seeing you in, in um, two weeks. Uh, you've been listening to WLE News Talk 990, and the show is Richmond Biz Live. We'll be right back. As a business leader, have you developed a highly productive work environment? Do you create a work-life experience that is self-motivating, enjoyable, and rewarding for your fellow workers, vendors, suppliers, and most importantly, yourself? To navigate to a pleasurable work-life experience, which will provide the means for you to have a fantastic full-life experience, contact me, Andy Shuler, for a free consultation on the web at metamorphosismc.com. Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for Richmond Biz Live on WLE 990 AM. You know, when I prepare for my segment, Owner as Executive, I am acutely aware that this is the number one obstacle to business growth. So, why don't you make an appointment with me every Saturday at 10 o'clock to help you grow with your business? It will be the best 10 minutes of your week. want to join us and you really should want to join us because if you're trying to get your business to pay off this is the only place in town to be at 10 o'clock in the morning or more like uh, 10 29 is here so 244 uh, toll free 844-249-5483 or 844-249-BIZLIVE uh, b-i-z-l-i-v-e okay i'm rocking and rolling we just had our productivity section now i'm taking the human side of that and i'm going to be talking about performance and specifically the two best practices today that are going to be our topic areas. One is on retaining the best talent within the company, and the other one is how to separate the mismatch. Now, I put these two together because, to me, I think it's the same thing. Because what, what I want to do is I want to focus on what are my employment 
processes. If I was talking about sales, we would be talking about owning the customer life cycle. Um, so there's no difference here. I'm going to own the employee life cycle. So I want to take a look at three basic pieces. One is selection. The second one is development. And the third one is compensation. And some of these are going to be reviews for other se uh, sessions and others are going to be brand new. So on the selection side, there's only two things that are really critical to me, and that is, uh, is eligibility and suitability. And I think we either last week or the week prior, uh, we talked about the difference. Eligibility is I have a set of requirements that people have to meet to have the job. It could be uh, skills training, could be certifications, could be um, academic degrees, doesn't matter. But I, I have requirements for the job that if you don't have it, it's kind of a, a pass, no pass. If you got those, then the second set of issues related to the individual is the suitability in that they may be a great employee, but are they a good match for the company? Like you got some core values about what you're about as a business. Are they going to fit? Or it could be more on a micro level and say, this is a good employee, but in that department, that's not going to work out because of some of the personnel that are involved in that. And so really the issue here is when I make selections, I need to be clear on what are my eligibility standards, what what's the go, no-go that people have to pass. And number two is I have to make sure they're a good match. Now, what we have been doing, I've done for years, and what we're currently doing now in my role as vice president of a manufacturing company in Southwest Virginia, is I we have a two-step interview process. I do the first interview, uh, which is an eligibility interview, and if I believe that they're eligible to work for us, then the second interview is done by the department head that they're going to go to work for. And so I will put several good candidates in front of them, at least I think so when I do it, and then they're going to make that decision, okay? Now let me go, let me go to the next piece, the, the development piece, because I think what is really critical here is that we don't, they come, they got a job with the, uh, with the company, they probably read the employee manual, and then we throw them on the job. Uh, uh, they ain't going to work too well. So I want you to think about three things. One is orientation. Number two is skill training for the job you hire them for. And number three is long-term career. Those are all issues under development. Now, on the orientation side, I think it is worth your while to take an hour or two and t tell them the history of the company, the story of the company, what's happened with the company. And, in fact, I would walk the plant, which I do with everybody I consider to be eligible, and show them how they fit into the overall flow, what do we do for a living, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, the idea behind this is I want that person, when they go to work, to know as much about the company as they possibly can know without wasting their time. And number two is that, understand, in that employment interview, this is probably as motivated as they're ever going to be. And so I want to take advantage of it and see if I can't keep them pumped for a little bit longer. Okay. Then I want to look at, all right, to put them in a the job, what type of hands-on training are they going to get in order to get up to speed as quickly as possible? Because a lot of times we throw them in the briar patch, and we have them do the work, and then we laugh and go, see, I told you that guy was going to work out. Well, I'll tell you, any job that requires some experience to do, you can't put a newbie into. Even if they are experienced someplace else, they are experienced someplace else. So what is the training that you're going to give them? And typically the easiest thing to do is to do that in four steps. One, first time they watch you do it. Like, for example, we're about to hire a second shift. Second shift's going to come in, and for a week it's going to work on the floor with first shift. What are they going to do first day? They're going to watch first shift work, ask questions. First shift's going to explain what they're doing. They got the right to ask questions, but they're going to watch. Day two, they're going to do the work with the person who had that job over their shoulder, helping them do it. Number, on day three, 
what we're going to give them is we're going to give them smaller pieces to do the easier things and let them kind of work on their own and supervise them enough that they can't go too long without making any mistakes. So hopefully uh, on day four, for the tasks that we've given them, they can basically handle it on their own as well as anybody can in four days. That's what I mean by that. And then the last piece of this is long-term um, a career in the company. And I think in a lot of smaller firms, we don't think this way because large corporations do. Uh, I think we got to stop that because I think there's a real advantage here to say, okay, where else could I put this person? We have several jobs on the plant floor that are new jobs specifically designed to teach somebody about the business and to teach them about all the departments so that when we have a higher skill level position open, we can move them over. For example, we have a rover who works the forklift, uh, does all the setups because our, on our CNC machines, if they're not running 20, if they're not running during a full shift, we're not making any money. So I don't want the CNC operator to leave for any reason. And so all the staging of all the materials and all that's done by the rover. And the rover does a lot of other things. But it also gives them a chance to see the company. When we go to second shift, my CNC operator from the second shift is my rover. After three months, he said, I can do that job, and so far he's demonstrated that. So the long-term career can be, where else in the company can I put this person that I'll give them the skill sets that will make them more valuable to the company? So I said selection. I talked about development, and then finally I talked about compensation, okay? And so on the comp thing, four things to consider. One is the work has to be, there has to be some, something intrinsically rewarding about the work. And I've talked a lot about this in some of the other shows, and that is people are always searching for meaning. And since we spend most of our adult lives at work, most of us get our meaning from work. Um, there's nothing worse than somebody coming to work and doing the same old stuff day in and day out. I remember when I was doing lean manufacturing for General Motors, and we were working at the world's largest engine plant in Tonawana, New York. And for those of you who don't know where that is, that's in friggin' Buffalo. And to be there in February is quite the experience. But there are guys who were doing the same thing for 10, 15 years. I mean, that is absolutely brain dead. And so I've got to understand is I've got to give people a variety of things to work on so they can draw the right type of meaning. They go home and they're, they're excited about what they're doing during the workday. Number two is that I've got to make it a good deal. <clears throat> and we talked about this a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me, the law of the good deal in that through my informal rewards and praise, I want people who are doing good work and going a little bit beyond the call of duty, I want to make sure that I reward those individuals. Uh, number three is now we get into the hard stuff, and that is got to make sure that the compensation package and the benefit package fit the individuals. Now, our challenge has been is because we have been in a tough spot for a number of years, our comp plan is pretty low, and we have got over the next year to adjust. But I also can tell you that the, the previous one, a good deal, can buy you the year you need to get the money to make compensation work. Our benefit package is pretty good, uh, everything considered. I don't know what Obamacare is going to do to it next year. We may have to dump it, but that's a different story. But um, pay, we're working on. And then finally, and my, my uh, final gesture uh, at the plan is going to be a pay-for-performance system where understand this is that salary allows you, what you pay people allows you to hire. Benefits is what allows you to keep them. If you want performance, you got to pay for it. Look at salespeople. Salespeople basically have the ability to write their own checks. That's why that's why they go out there and pump the pavement pretty hard. What you want to do is you want to make maybe ten to fifteen percent of somebody's check on the floor, variable based upon their own performance. And uh, you're wondering where that extra fifteen percent productivity is going to come from? 
Oh, you just found it. And you know what? It's found money because if they don't do it, you don't pay it. And so it's a, it's a great freaking deal. Now, having said that, retaining the best, if I operate this system, the best are going to rise up. The best are absolutely going to rise up. And those are the people that I'm going to target and I'm going to do what I have to to keep them here. Or if it's in their best interest to go, then I mean, obviously you can't stop them. But you know what I'm talking about. You've got those people working for you right now. And what I want to do is I want them not to contemplate going someplace else. What I want them to do is be coming into me and saying, Bill, I need a better job. I need to make more money, et cetera, et cetera. But the intention here is not to leave the company or use it as a threat to quit to get a better job, but coming into me and say, hey, help me out. I don't want to leave this company, but I need X, Y, and Z. That's a good place for somebody to be in rather than somebody saying, look, I can't go any further. I'm going down the road, and I'm going to go to, and they may go to a competitor. Now, on the other side of that is separating the mismatch. Uh, the reason I, all, I front-loaded all of this, and I'm not spending a great deal of time with this one, um, is simply is that I don't put a lot of energy into the people who shouldn't work for me because they will surface on their own if I write the, run the right system. Then, when it becomes obvious, I would say about 50% of the time they self-select and they leave of their own volition because they realized that this is not the company for them and they're going nowhere. For the ones that are not bright enough to figure that out, now I have to step in and say, okay, it, this is not working. Now, what we're doing, like most employers, we have a 90-day uh, probation period where we don't pay any benefits. Uh, we pay a little bit lower than we're paying the full-time people who are, are there. And we use that 90-day period for them, to, for them to evaluate whether they want to work here and for us to evaluate whether we want them to work there. And so I kind of view this as baseball because, in fact, two weeks ago I had to do several releases. Well, we had people that were not performing up to speed, and at that point I would just say, hey, you're just getting released because you're not a good match for what we're doing. So I would heartily, heartily recommend a 90-day probation period and basically put your energy into separating the people there. Beyond that, separating the mismatch uh, without getting into all of the HR legal issues uh, is simply this, is that understanding you're playing to two populations. When you do this, there are two groups of people that you've got to be concerned with. One is the individual for whom you're trying to treat. You're trying to deal with their performance issues. Number two is everybody else. The longer you suffer the wrong person, the longer that they're going to fail to contribute to the firm, but more importantly, what you're really saying to everybody else is you don't give a damn. you got somebody who's not performing, you got to get them out of the company. That is as simple as it gets. They've got to go. The quicker you do it, and I'm finding right now is I just have a conversation, and I have the good fortune of having mostly male employees, and I say good fortune only because I can say the following. Let's have a man-to-man -man conversation. You're not cutting it here. And then I'll go into some details. So I said, okay, how do, wh where do we go from here? How do I help you get another job? What type of recommendation can I write for you? But you're not, it's not working because you don't fit into this place. And then I have my performance reasons. So that's what I would say about separating the mismatch. Put your energy into building processes to where you're doing a better job of selection. You're looking at eligibility and suitability. You're looking at development, which is orientation, first-time training on their new job, long-term career. And then three is take a look at compensation. Rewarding work, good deal, a comparable pay and benefit package, and then pay for performance. And if you do that, then the good are going to stay, the bad will surface quickly, and a lot of them will go on their own. So that's kind of my thoughts on performance for the day. Um, we will pick this up in two weeks. So with that, this is WLE News Talk 990. The show is Richmond Biz Live. The number is 844 844 
249-5483. And we'll be back. Hello, I'm William Eastman. You know me as the executive producer of Richmond Biz Live. In my other role as managing partner of the Growth Works, I spend time helping business owners get their companies on track and paying them back for years of investment and sacrifice. However, before I can make the necessary changes, you must answer the following question. Where are you? In our research, we have identified three types of small business, 80% that are just getting by, 15% who are doing okay but wondering what's next, and then there's the 5% who dominate a market or a niche, and what they're wondering is, how do I break out? So I pose the question to you, where are you? If you want to understand this question and the significance of the answer better, go to our membership site, growthworks.net, and download our paper on where are you. Learn how to move from the 80% to the 15 and from the 15 to the 5%. This level of success and profitability is within your reach. Gain the advantage over your competitors by downloading it today. And this is, uh, what is this? This is WLE News Talk 990. Ryan in here and I were just having a good, good, good little conversation in our one-minute break. Um, and the show is Richmond Biz Live. And the way that you can play with us, one is you can obviously listen to this on W990 AM every Saturday morning at 10.06 until 11 o'clock. Or number two, you should go to our website, which is RichmondBizLive, B-I-Z-L-I-V-E.com. And if you go there and you, and you see a little button that says watch us, then you can get us on the live feed or you can listen to us. And, of course, the website's got a whole bunch of stuff like every other show that we've done and items that you can use. We've got some really good downloads there. So if uh, you're, not, you're not fixing your business with all the free stuff where I'm giving out or we're giving out, then you're crazy. All right. Owner's executive is uh, my last segment of the day before I talk a little bit about Founder Trap. And owner executive is one of those segments that I felt like I really had to do. I don't have to do any of these others. I could, but this one is mine because here's my experience. Owners who have not had the experience of working in large organizations don't understand that as, and, and let's talk about promotion now, as you get promoted up the company and you get more responsibility and you get different responsibilities, how you led at one level how you manage at one level is radically different than how you lead and manage at the next level. Now, if you've never worked in a large corporation, you don't know that. That ain't your fault, but that is going to bite you in the backside if you don't know that because as you grow your company, it's the same thing as being promoted in that it changes the demands on the owner. So, for example, owners, when they start out, run a hub-and-spoke system where they're the hub and all the employees are the spokes. Well, Seven spokes, eight spokes, ten spokes, twelve spokes. Okay, it's starting to get rough. You got 70 people like we do down in southwest Virginia. There's no way you can run 70 spokes. So what you've got to do is you've got to change how you manage the business. So you go from directly supervising and telling people what to do and being involved in everything to a process-based approach to uh, running the company in that let's put the right processes in place and let's hire some managers and I'm going to manage the managers. I'm going to make sure that the managers are managing the process and that's how I'm going to make sure that what's going on. So the, as the owner, I'm not giving up control, but I'm changing the type of control. The control in the organization is getting more sophisticated. Once we get through process, now I can really run the company like a CEO of a billion-dollar firm. How do they run it? They run it on results. Each line of business, is each business unit, each division, each department – have a set of bogeys that they got to make for the year. And what I do is I manage where they make the bogeys. 
If they don't make the bogeys, I don't drill down. The guy that reports to me drills down. And where is he drilled down? He moves, drills down from, uh, from results. He drills down on process. Okay? And so if you don't understand that, if you haven't been through it, and I've been through it in the private sector and I've been through it in the public sector, that's why this segment here. Now, today, I'm going to talk about two things. One is that it has to do with the, the company's ability to anticipate change to find where the market is heading and being first. And number two, how do I make sure that business objectives are integrated throughout the organization? So these seem like kind of disparate ideas, but they're really not. So let's take the first one. Is this, And we've talked about this a little bit. Like last season, Mary Foley from uh, Bodacious Ventures was on here talking about uh, owners, executives, leaders in small business becoming thought leaders. And the reason for that one was not only that it was a powerful branding tool, uh, to get you and the company out there, but it was also a great intel role, is that what I'm talking about here, and Mike Carroll and I have probably done six shows over the last two seasons on the topic, and that is what we need to do is if you're in sales, you've got to be collecting intelligence. And what you're collecting intelligence on is what's happening in our industry, so I know how it's affecting me, but more importantly, what's happening in my customers' industries. So that when I talk to my customer, Odds are my customers aren't doing the same thing, and I'm going to have information that they don't have that is really productive and of value to their companies. Well, one of the upsides of that is they'll take my sales call because instead of coming in and making it sound as if I'm just here to push some goods, every time they talk to me, they go, I didn't know that. And then think about the changing the dynamics in the sales process. Well, it's the same thing here is that what I need as the owner, as the owner executive of a company, I need to be one of the people most attuned to what's happening in the market because not only do I have a responsibility to my own company, but my company has a responsibility to its suppliers and to its customers. And so if I'm out there and I'm collecting this intelligence, I'm figuring out what's going on, then what happens in my organization is equipped to help its customers and suppliers. Okay, It also helps in the marketing function because what happens here is that the marketing function can be in front of this wave. You know, it's, it's, you know, as a guy grew up on Cocoa Beach, Florida, you know, the whole surfing deal is you want to be the first one on the wave. The challenge is the wave's got to be big enough to carry your board. Because, you know, once you're on the wave, you kind of own it. And other guys get on the wave later, they got to get out of the way. But if you get on the wave too early, well, you're just going to be sitting there as it kind of slides underneath your butt. And so the challenge is, what's the wave and when is the wave big enough for us to get on it as a company? Well, that's where I want my marketing team attuned to so that they can say, okay, this is what's coming. This is what we think. Let's start addressing it and let's start seeing what response we're getting back from our marketing. And remember, marketing, had, as, as uh, Mike and I have talked about, uh, marketing has two functions. One is to establish brand identity and two, to create qualified leads that you can put into the sales funnel. And then finally is that, and this is an interesting one, who should be working with product development on either modifying the products that you have or coming out with new products? Now, right now, next season, we'll talk about new product development. Right now, I'm going to talk about what do we need to do to our current product and service mix to deal with the future. And as the best people to be working with production are salespeople. Salespeople out there, they live with it, they see what's going on, they got to sell it. And so the beauty of that is product development is or product modification or whatever you want to call them, are dealing with people who are right there inside the customer. And so the first one is I have to anticipate change. How do I do it? 
I make sure that I'm out there, I'm collecting the data. Number two is I'm making sure that that information that I'm collecting is getting to marketing so we can begin to change what our identity in the market is. So we're ahead of everybody else, but not too far ahead. And then number three is that if we really need to do something to improve our products to, uh, based upon what's about to happen, then I make sure that my sales force, which has been doing its job and has been collecting this data, is now working with the people in production to say, well, you know, if you added this, you took that away, or you did a little this, a little that, here's the impact it would have, and I'd be able to sell it a lot more. Okay, so that is owner, that's the issue there of uh, understanding the market. Uh, the other one is this issue of business uh, objectives being integrated uh, with individuals and team goals. And, and what this is around is alignment. I, I, you know, if you think about your role as an executive, I, I think there are two that are just absolutely essential. In fact, if you made me say, if you only gave me two, then the two I would take is vision and alignment. A vision is, can they in fact see the vision? Can they see what I see? Here's where I'm taking the company. This is how we're going to be perceived by the market. Here's how we're going to be perceived by our customers. Um, can the people below me in the organization see it as I see it? And that is a communication issue. Part of that is clarity, having my own clarity about what I see. But number two is it's also about talking about it all the time because if, in fact, I never talk about it, guess what? It, it becomes moot. What I talk about the most is what people pay attention to, especially if I'm the owner of the company. Number two is that they need to see how they are going to be impacted by this vision. And I may need to help them with that. In other words, well, what does that mean to you in this job? Okay. If I can do that, then what I can start doing is I can ensuring alignment. Because what I want to have in the organization from every individual is line of sight. I don't care how low you are in the organization and how insignificant your job may appear to be. If you got a job working for me, I'll I'll guarantee, and I'm paying you money, I'll guarantee you one thing: the job is not insignificant. Because if it was, you'd be out of here, and I would be taking that as retained earnings or doing something else with the money. Everybody that has a job is essential to the future of the business. And so there, what I've got to do is i got to make that truth clear to people. And so on the, on the, on the issue of business objectives being integrated with individual and team goals, which is, by the way, if you want to know where I'm working from, go to richmondbizlive.com, B-I-Z-L-I-V-E.com and go to shows and what you'll see not only on the home page that we talk about what the shows are about but if you go to the show page and you scroll down on a table you'll find every show that we have done up to today um, is covered and we're talking about what best practices we happen to be working on at the moment okay so now let me uh let me take the, my last few minutes here and let's talk about another topic that uh, i had a request for uh, from a good friend of mine. I, I just want to put a plug in for Scout Design, one of the best design houses uh, in the Richmond area. Um, uh, Chaz Foley and uh, Angeline Roberts are the two principals in the firm, and uh, they've done some great work. They've won some awards, and uh, he, uh, Chaz is trying to do the impossible. He's trying to be artsy and creative and be a good businessman, and I find that that's rather challenging because I don't know too many to fit in there. Uh, so uh, this issue of founder trap, let me talk about this. The companies will grow to a certain level because of the strengths of the owner. Now, I can't tell you where that is. Typically, what that would be defined is here, is that you've got sufficient sales 
that the, the money is predictable. You know when you're going to have it. You're going to be able to pay your bills. But you're challenged with, okay, what do we do now? And one of the challenges is not necessarily trying to figure out what to do now. It's rather how to do that. And this is where the owners get into trouble because most owners are used to being um, uh, totally in touch, micromanaging. It's kind of the spoke, hub and spoke uh, example I just gave where the, this is what they're used to. Not only I, And it's not so much that necessarily they like being dictators, but this is more of a, a thing of, I like the people that work for me. I love what we're doing, and I love being in the middle of it. Well, I'll tell you what. If you do that um, and you like that, then maybe one of the things you ought to consider is not growing the company. Because I can tell you, if you say, well, you know, I, I want to double growth in the next two or three years, and that's how you feel, those two ob objectives are incompatible. And what the owner's got to be able to do is, is to pull themselves out. Because from that point going forward, the failure of the company to grow is also going to be an issue of the founder. Now, why, why, why do owners not grow? Well, one is they have difficulty in making it an admission that they're not that smart. Well, you know what? You're not. I've started six companies. Two of them did pretty well. Two of them have been mitza mitza, and two bombed. One wiped me out. And so I can't say that I'm, I'm any authority because I've had the whole range of successes. Just because we're the business owner, the entrepreneur, doesn't mean we have to be that smart. And I think if you, you get off, your, if you take your own foot off your own neck, you can confess to people, say, hey, look, I know how to do this, and here's some of the areas I'm struggling with. Um, do you have any thoughts? Because you may find you had some people working for you going, oh, yeah, I know how to do that particular thing that we're discussing. So the first thing is, is the owner has got to admit that this is over their head and that either they're going to have to grow into an area that they don't have a lot of expertise or they're not very comfortable, or they're going to have to bring in talent that's going to do that. Now, Pete Drucker, who has been one of my heroes for all the years, 30-some-odd years I've been in this business, uh, Peter Drucker would say, screw the, the, um, the, the weak weaknesses. Don't do them. In other words, you're never going to be good at it. No matter how hard you try, you're going to expend a lot of energy, and you're still going to suck. So now, now Peter was a lot more... Uh, uh, urbane than I, I'm being right now. And so he wouldn't say it that way. He would say in his wonderful German, it won't work is where he would be. It don't work. Um, so, but the deal here is that as an owner is don't work on your weaknesses, get your weaknesses mitigated. That's why when, when the company gets at stage three, so let's go through the stages. First stage is before you go into business and you're doing the, it's, it's dream to plan. You got a dream, you convert it to a plan. You open the doors. Stage two is cash is king, and it's all about sales. And what you've got to do is you've got to come up with sufficient and predictable cash flow that you can pay all your bills, including yourself, and that you can you know when those days are going to happen so you can predict that. Once you get beyond that, then you get into stage three, and stage three is the next act. And this is where the founder trap comes in, is that the owner's going, well, what do we do now? That's why I'm in Southwest Virginia. That's why our company was hired to be a VP and to take over manufacturing is that it's not that the owner doesn't, the owner doesn't know what the next act should be. And that's where he went to ex outside expertise. Um, in this particular case, bringing us inside so that we can run it rather than trying to do it as a consulting, getting people to do what you tell them um, is turned out to be much easier. And so I would say to you is that stick to the parts of the business you do best. I think that the, that the founder trap is the owner pulls himself out of everything but involvement in sales, 
doing market intelligence, establishing thought leadership for themselves in their, either in their industry or their local market, and then begin to bring in managers who are going to bring in processes, and you manage the managers managing the process. Now, I'll, I'll pick up this topic again because I couldn't really do it justice in six minutes, but that's where the founder trap is at. So, okay, let me close here. Let me talk about what we've done so far. To achieve 95% productive capacity, because that's what the goal is, the, the equipment that you run can only be done on plan. I guarantee you, if you're not at level three or level four, as Andy talked about them, you're going to have breakdowns at the worst time. Number two is the capacity and quality are results. Cleanliness is the means. Number three is that put your energy into your employment processes. Focus on the best. The mismatches will be obvious, and they'll be the last thing you got to handle. And typically, that'd be pretty quick. Number four, anticipate the future by being proactive. Seek better data, and then put that data to use within your company. And then finally, this issue on the daily function of the executive would say two, every day, two things. Clarity on the direction of the firm and alignment of the activities to make sure that they get us down the road. And so with that, I think that's what I've got. Next week's show, we've got Linda Heath uh, from Financial Hall Graphics talking about contingency planning. We've got Mike Carroll, or maybe Patrick Carroll, from uh, Focus Business on rapid response and how do you respond, and then I'm going to do some stuff on service. So with that, wealth and prosperity to all. Is it time for your business to pay it back? Hello, I'm William Eastman, executive producer of Richmond Biz Live. And if this is your challenge as a business owner, then don't miss a single show. Either listen live at 10 o'clock every Saturday on WLEE News Talk 990 or download our podcast at richmondbizlive.com. Every show, we tackle those issues in marketing, sales, people, customers, and finance that are limiting your success. If it's time to get paid back for your years of investment and sacrifice, join us this Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Biz Live.